Hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. Oh God, we thank you for a place where we can come and laugh and celebrate and, and be concerned with one another. We pray that as we continue to hear your word, we become, as James says, not just hearers but doers, and that it enables us to go out and make a difference in the world around us because you have made a difference in and through us. So, Lord, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. So I have uh, two stories to uh, start out uh, this morning to kind of talk about and uh, experiences a little bit of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, The first one was when I was doing a a new church start in the uh, Wiley and Sachse area. I would go to a Starbucks in the area and kind of set up shop there, if you will, with my computer, and I would strategically place a couple of books and my Bible out there on the uh, table so people would know that there was a, uh, a pastor or somebody religious sitting next to them. And, and every once in a while, somebody would come up to me and ask a question. And I remember one of these uh, moments, a uh, gentleman walked up and said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, have a seat. And he sat down beside me and he said, I notice you have a Bible there. Is there a reason why you have a Bible? I said, well, I'm a pastor in the area, and I'm starting a new church, and this is basically my office since we don't have a, a building to worship in. And he said, okay, well, let me ask you this question. That, that, that book you have there, the Bible, do you think it's true? And I sat there, and I thought for just a, a moment, and I went, What makes you say that? Why do you ask that question? Because that's a very good question to ask whenever you just want a little bit more information. It says, well, you know, what I mean by that is, like, do you believe that where that stuff happened actually exists? I was like, what do you mean by that? Because it was still kind of cloudy and, and not really for sure where he was going. He said, well, like, like Paul and, and, and Jesus and, and Moses, do you actually think that those people existed. And, and do you know those places that they were at? I said, well, but at that time, I've already made one trip to the Holy Land. And I said, yeah, I, I've been to the Holy Land. I've seen the places that, that they talk about, you know, Jerusalem and, and around the Sea of Galilee and, you know, out to the desert to where the Dead Sea is and Qumran and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I believe what is written in the Bible, it, it happened. That there was those people were real, and then he, he left. It was like, okay, that was a very fun and interesting conversation, but it reminded me that sometimes people take a look at this and they wonder, is this something that I can rely on? Is this a word that I can hold on to and, and make my proclamation of Jesus Christ? 
backpedal a few more years when I was doing youth ministry and went to uh, Bridgeport for a uh, midwinter retreat. And the kids were there playing, you know, volleyball and horseshoes and, and doing this all bunch of goofing around all over the place. And some of us counselors were we're standing around being all theological with one another because that's what you do. You try to show your theologicalness, if you will, in front of all the other adults to so that you know more than everybody else. So as we were sitting there talking, one of them looked at me and said, So, Chris, what is it that you think about the Bible? And I started to say, well, whenever I look at the Bible, I see it as the, and he just jumped right in, don't you dare say that the Bible is infallible or, you know, all of those words, because that's just not true. I said, well, hold on. Let me finish what I was going to try to say. You know, I believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. And it's the way that we can connect with the one who loves us and creates us. Now, whenever I start talking about the words infallible or inerrant, I know that there is a lot of disagreement about that, about how we understand and how we interpret the scripture that we have in front of us. It reminds me of a quote that uh, somebody that I just recently got in contact with was talking about how we as followers of Jesus Christ, should do our, our, our theology, how, how we understand and know who Jesus is and our role as Christians. And the way he talked about it, he says that we need to make sure we do theology just like we do a crossword puzzle, that we do it with pencil. And we kind of looked at him and went, why, why are you saying that? He said, well, if you do it in pen, you're just being arrogant. And when you do it in pen, you, are, you, you can't really make any corrections because there are times when you do theology or when you say things, you need to back up and, and erase, like a crossword puzzle, some of the answers that you already have written in. Because if you think you don't need to erase some of those answers, then, then you're just doing it wrong. And there are times where when you're doing a crossword puzzle, you leave some of the answers blank. Because you just don't know. You, you just don't know the answer. And I know that there are pastors that are around that will say that they know absolutely everything and that, that God has revealed everything to them, so don't even question them or don't even tell them that they're wrong. But folks, your pastor is not one of them. I don't have it all figured out. And, and I don't expect to have it all figured out until I cross over to the other side where I can be face-to-face with Jesus and he can explain things to me and I can go, oh, that's what you meant by that. But see, I think what God really honors in, in, in situations like that is this our desire to become closer to God and to understand his word in our lives and how we are to live out that world, word in the world around us. For me, I think the best quote that, that gives us an idea of our relationship with Scripture is by uh, the late Rich Mullins, who said, and I posted this on my Facebook page this morning, that we were given Scriptures to humble us into realizing that God is right and the rest of us is just guessing. 
Because the fact of the matter is, my friends, when it comes to, to all the matters of Scripture and all the matters of what, what is laid out in front of us, sometimes we're just guessing. But I think God honors that and, and, and blesses that because it shows that we have a f- desire to fully understand and to know who God is through Jesus Christ. I think the scripture that, that, that trips us up and, and, and makes us have arguments about this word, infallible or inspired or inerrant, is, is that scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And I have it up here in the King James Version. because And it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness. This is a very important passage, but because it reminds us that, that what Scripture is there for is to help us to understand what our doctrine should be. It, it's there so that we can build ourselves up, but also it's there to help correct us when we may be off track. And it is there for instruction in righteousness. The next one is from the uh, NIV version, and I added not only verse 16, but verse 17 following. It says, all scripture does God breathe and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hold on to that uh, screen right there. I, I love those so that that phrases. And whenever, whenever you see so that in Scripture, that, that should really hone you in that whatever comes next is really, really important. So that the servant of God, that's, that's us, that's who we are, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It doesn't say so that we can win every single argument that we uh, may uh, p- be a part of when somebody, when we're trying to argue what the Bible says. It doesn't say so that we can prove that we're right and everybody else is wrong. It says that it's there so that we may be equipped to do the work that God has called us to do. The United Methodist Church, we have a, a, a book of discipline. And in there is a theological task. And in that theological task, there are two separate uh, ways that we take a look at uh, our faith. And it's because of the Methodist Church and the Evangelical United Brethren that, that joined together in 1968. And, and those two versions have a, those, those two creeds, if you will, have a way that we look at Scripture. And what it says is this, is that we affirm the Bible as the source of all that is necessary and sufficient unto salvation. That's from the Articles of Religion. And then the uh, Confession of Faith says it is to be received through the Holy Spirit as the true rule and guide for faith and practice. So my friends, the Bible is not God. When we look at Scripture, this is not what we worship. We don't worship the, the, the Bible, but it gives us the most objective and detailed way of communicating with us as God's people. 
It gives us a, a rule of life and a rule of way to, to do things and to understand things so that we may draw closer to the God who loves us and cares for us through, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, it's also important to remember that we cannot claim essentials to faith without Scripture. When we take the opportunity to, to say that we hold something, but that something is not there, that's not, that's not a part of our faith. But it is also make sure that we don't add anything to the Scripture either, that we, that we use this book as our guide for our faith and for our life. So what do I mean by the infallible word? Well, the infallible word is only one person, and that person is Jesus Christ. And we see that in our scripture for this morning from John chapter 1, starting at verse 1 through 5. John writes, In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So Jesus Christ is the word of God. Jesus came as a form of a human to, to, to live like one of us, to experience life like one of us. And Jesus is the one that all of Scripture points to. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon who, who talks about the importance of Scripture. He says that from every text of Scripture, there is a road to Jesus Christ. So what, what Spurgeon is saying, and I agree with him, that when you look all the way from the book of Genesis, all the way to the book of Revelation, everything that we find in this book points to Jesus Christ. It gives us a, a way and a, an example to, to see who Jesus is. And, and if you want to go to Scripture to find out if that's true or not, we go to John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, where Jesus himself says that you study the Scripture diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. One of the things that's easy for us to do is to, to take Scripture out of context, take it verse by verse to justify, to defend, or even disprove something that is happening around us. One of my favorite verses to talk about this is a, a, a psalm that starts out with saying that to the fool there is no God. And somebody can easily take that scripture, take out that part to the fool, and say, well, the Bible says there is no God. See, that is the misuse of scripture, and that is not what Jesus is talking about. And it's so easy for us to do that because we want scripture to, to affirm who we are and, and our, our personal experience. That's what the Pharisees did. 
And that's what Jesus was, was talking about here. Jesus was, was combating the Pharisees saying, look, you have these words that, that, we, that God has given you. And you're using it to, to set up a system to say these people can be in because they follow everything and these cannot. Jesus many times and time again says, you have heard this, but I tell you. And he, and he corrects and, and he, he forms and he allows us to see his word made flesh. When we take a look at the scripture, we see that it, it comes in, in six movements, if you will. And each one of these movements gives us an idea of who Jesus is. It starts out with the creation story. Then we have the story of the fall. And then we have the, the section of scripture that talks about Israel. And then we have the section, of course, that talks about Jesus and who Jesus is. And then the church affirms everything that Jesus says and and reminds us to point back to the Gospels. And then we have the new creation, the end of times where, where heaven and earth combine in God's glory. So let's take a quick look at how each of these sections come together to point to who Jesus is. First, the creation story. Of course, we we heard just then from John chapter 1 that gives us a view of creation, but when we go to Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, we hear that God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. If we take a look at the Amplified Bible, it gets even more specific, and it says, let us, Father, Son, and Spirit, make humankind in our image. The, the second part, which is the fall, of course, is God's response to how we have a fallen nature, about how we have fallen short, and because God has sent Jesus Christ for us, we can then be in relationship with him. The third part, Israel, we're going to skip for right now and hit the other three easy ones, and then we'll come back and really look at how God used the story of Israel to point to Jesus Christ. The, the fourth section, Jesus, well, like I said before, that's easy. We have the Gospels that, that help us see what Jesus taught and what Jesus did. Then we have the church, and all through the story of Acts and the letters that were written pointed back to Jesus as the Lord and Savior for the one that we are to follow. Not a set of rules, not a set of of regulations that we have to do, but to have life through the one who gives us life, Jesus our Lord. And then the new creation, which is sprinkled throughout all of the letters, but specifically 2 Corinthians 5.17 that says, if anyone who belongs to Christ, they have become a new person. The old self is gone, and a new life has begun. And then finally, at the close of the book of Revelation, in Revelation 21, Jesus is sitting on the throne and says, I am making all things new. So that's what Jesus is coming to do. It's to make all things new, to make us new, to make us full of life and light. So that brings us back to the story of Israel. Where in the story of Israel do we see 
pointing to Jesus Christ? Well, the easy answer is to take a look at the, the prophecies that were written about Jesus Christ that we see sprinkled throughout the Gospels. But I, I wanted to give you one more image to take a look at. And I got this from... Um, I'll make sure I get the guy's name right. Andrew Wilson, who is the teaching pastor at King's Church in London. And he gives us this picture by going back to the story of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he gets to uh, Israel, gets to Egypt, and he, he has all of this success, but then he runs into Potiphar's wife, and that little thing with Potiphar gets him thrown in the jail where he's just left there. And, and while he's there, two more people are thrown into the jail on both sides of Joseph. Take a look at that, both sides of Joseph. And these two people go to Joseph to have a dream interpreted. One is the baker who probably baked bread. And, and he talks about how he had this dream where uh, Joseph interprets that he would be killed by the Pharaoh. The other one was the cupbearer, and the cupbearer usually brought wine to the king. He tells him his dream, and, and the cupbearer is given an interpretation that he would be restored to himself and to his job. So we have bread, and we have the cup. Here at this table, we celebrate with bread, and we celebrate with the cup. A little bit later in the story, Joseph is, is set uh, next to the, uh, the Pharaoh, and he's given charge over all of the entire land. He saw this dream that there were these cows that were uh, full and, and full of food, and then these other cows came up and ate the ones that were there, and then uh, had another dream with wheat, and the same thing happened there. And, and Pharaoh asked him to interpret this dream, and through that interpretation, Joseph was then set up to be overrule all of the world around him and to take care of the plenty in the seven years that they were to have. His family was dealing with a drought, and they came all the way to Egypt because they heard of all of the food and everything that was there. And as they came, Joseph went and gave them what? A whole bunch of grain, grain that they were able to make bread with. But then as the story is starting to conclude, Joseph then takes a cup and places it inside one of his brother's bags so that they can finally understand who he is and bring Israel back into relationship with Joseph so that they can survive, so they can have life. So again, through the bread, through the grain, Joseph was able to save the people of Israel through the bread that we celebrate at communion. God is able to, to break, take us brokenness and make it whole again. And then through the cup, the family relationship is restored with Joseph. And through the cup, our relationship with God is restored as we share in the pouring of the cup through the act of Holy Communion. 
There's so much more that, that we can talk about how we can be connected to the love and grace of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to do it in this way. We're going to have a, a Lenten study starting on March the 11th over a book that this came from called A Long Story Short. This is uh, it's about the whole story of the scripture in six simple acts. If you go to the website uh, at life, you can sign up for the study. We'll have it at 10 o'clock on Wednesday mornings, and we'll also have it at 6.30 on Wednesday nights. I invite you to come and be a part of this so you can see how we take this story that talks about the infallible word, Jesus Christ, and internalizes that story for us so that we may live as Jesus' disciples. My friends, I could go on and on and on about the scripture, but I know I can't because we, we, we have to close up our time here together. But I encourage you to, to, to not be afraid or, or be worried about some of these passages that we have in scripture or, or some of the books. We're doing a, uh, a year-long reading of the scriptures, and we're getting ready to go into those books that we don't like to read, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. But those books are there because it helps us see who God is, and it helps us to see who Jesus is and why he came to live as one of us. This God who, who gives us a picture, an example of who the Father is. But more importantly, Jesus who came to give us life so that we may share his life with others. Let us pray. Oh God, sometimes we take a look at Scripture and if we are honest with ourselves, we can take a look at it and and, and have no idea what's going on. That's why you gave us this study of your word, so that we can come to know who you are through the words of Scripture. Help us to come to it not afraid or, or, or not confused, but help us to come as, as students who want to learn, students who want to learn who you are and, and how your life changes each and every one of us. God, help us to come with our pencils ready, ready to write in the answers that we have in our hearts, but Lord, more importantly, ready to take the eraser on that pencil and erase someone to write in a new answer. Not because we, we got it wrong, but because we want to be more like you. God, allow your word to live in us and, and to be a reflection of who you are so others may come and know you and be filled with your grace. And so, Lord, we pray this in the name of the one who cares for us, the one who gives us a, a shining picture of who you are, Jesus our Lord. Amen.